Welcome to the Really From Podcast, where we talk about culture, creativity, and breaking down that question, where are you really from? Hello, everyone. My name is Chris Lee Rodriguez. I play in the band Really From, and today... On the pod, we have a really special guest. Uh, she is the lead singer and guitarist of the band Mint Green, and also another person that I just met for the first time today. Uh, please welcome Ronika to the pod. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Hello, listeners. Oh, oh, Hello, Chris. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for uh, coming on. Uh, I wanted to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself and share anything else you do besides uh your band um my band is my baby so i do spend a lot of time with it i'm trying Mm -hmm. to venture into other things like i've acted in a few short films um oh that's awesome so so if you're a film student and uh you have like a 50 dollar budget and can like give me chipotle i'll be in your film (laughs) (laughs) and for people listening film students specifically where uh boston massachusetts okay cool yeah uh yeah nice um cool uh so thanks for coming on uh i've been starting every pod with this question um and uh i wanted to give you opportunity to answer it uh, when was the first or most memorable time you've been asked the question, where are you really from, if you've been asked that question before? Yeah, I was thinking about this. Um, <laughs> and what I have concluded is that in a way I kind of have it easier than I feel like most people because I don't have an ambiguous look. Like mm-hmm. I don't look mixed at all. I'm dark skinned. So people just mm-hmm. see me as a black girl. So no one really has to question what I am or what I'm mixed with so like the closest kind of experience I've had is actually from other black people like I've been asked if I'm Jamaican or Haitian Trinidadian um and uh so that was interesting especially like growing up um I grew up in Dorchester um Mm. which for folks who aren't in Massachusetts is a predominantly black neighborhood and I went to school in Roxbury well high school at least which is also predominantly black and there are definitely so many different cultures but it's all about like the kind of subsector as well and yeah. so uh that was kind of interesting to navigate because I'd have to be like oh no I'm not Jamaican I'm not Haitian and there is also like I feel like back in the day you know you were kind of seen as better if you were one thing and not the other um Mm. and so yeah (laughs) could you speak a little bit more about that yeah so I feel like when I was growing up and I've definitely seen it change over time but I feel like for a while being Haitian wasn't something that people were was proud of uh or rather I don't know people like looked down on Haiti uh, a lot more so than if someone was like Jamaican or um, something like that I don't really know exactly why 
Haiti or being Haitian was looked down upon um, because I am not Haitian. So I don't really know all the things attached with that. But I do remember that being a thing growing up. And I think just in general, like being light skinned or like mulatto, uh, you were kind of considered to be like prettier and like people would assume that you were mm. like of a higher class um, and kind of just like quote not ghetto so I feel like all of that colorism wrapped in with uh, you know island beef uh, yeah it it was a uh, it was an interesting sphere as a black person with other black people <laughs> that's real uh, last week we had, or actually today, uh, we're talking right now. Um, I had on uh, my friend Teo, who plays in the band uh, Baby Fane, and he was talking a little bit about how his own blackness would be questioned, almost because he's from Oakland, mm. and I was talking about how his regional experience kind of shaped his own identity, his like own racial identity it was very specific as opposed to the New York version or uh identity of blackness is where he currently lives right now um i was wondering if you ever had anything similar to that or uh, experience that kind of resonates with that sentiment yeah um this is gonna well (laughs) well i think the closest thing i can compare it to is i grew up in a religion that wasn't very popular and Mm. so um just compared to everyone else I was you know this black girl that you know didn't sing gospel and uh and I yeah and I feel like uh in my I was definitely like I would always kind of be told that I was like lucky because I had both my mom and my dad growing up. Um, And so I couldn't really relate to the kind of broken family and like single mom uh, Mm. struggles that other black people had in my neighborhood, other black kids. And I almost felt, I don't want to say bad, but I, there was definitely some uh, um, tension, I think, because mm. like my dad would pick us up uh, from school and all these types of things. I felt like I was almost too privileged um, mm. and just not looked at the same in that regard. And then paired with uh, religion and just the way I kind of conducted myself in school, I felt like I was never really cool enough like the other black kids Mm. so like you know whether it be like swearing or you know things like that video games i couldn't play yeah music i couldn't listen to (laughs) that's so interesting yeah i feel you on the um the video game front my mom was like very like adamant just on like a Oh, if you play video games, like oh, you you should be thankful that I didn't let you play video games because look how smart you are. Um, <laughs> I think about that now. It's like some of the smartest people I know are like huge gamers. Yeah. And also, the act of playing a video game is actually really good for developing intelligence 
because of the yeah. problem solving you have to do and the way like you're almost like building code in your own yeah. head itself. Problem solving, critical thinking, all that good exactly. stuff. Exactly. It's very interesting. Um, and also the what you just said about not feeling cool enough. Uh, it's it reminded me of <laughs> this is a huge aside. It reminded me of School of Rock, where <laughs> like the Asian kid was like, "I can't be in the band because I'm not cool enough." <laughs> and watching that, I was like, "Oh my god, I am that kid." <laughs> um, that's really interesting. We're allowed to listen to certain music. Music. So I was wondering, uh, what kind of led you to the type of music that you listen to that inspired Mint Green? Um. So my brother. Uh, he is like three years older than me and he kind of, he's really into computers and like, he was always like ahead of the curve when it come when it came to tech. So I'm wow. talking about LimeWire and BearShare and all these methods of like getting music back in the day, he would yeah. be able to do it. And so he would, well, I think he also reached his like rebellious phase earlier than I did, obviously, because he's older. So he would be playing like these like heavy, heavy songs. My mom hated it. It would be like, <laughs> <laughs> it would be like, um, like uh, freaking like, corn and like uh, sick. And I can't even like, uh, my like mind is going blank. Uh, who's the, oh like trapped. And like, yeah. uh, <laughs> and uh, who sings, uh, who sings bodies? Why am I like? Oh, that the bodies hit the floor. Yeah, like I'm the, like blanking all of these, but yeah. Oh, I but, know, I know what you're talking about. Uh, what is it? That was um, <laughs> I'm looking up drowning pool. Yeah, drowning pool, and even things, and even like Lincoln Park. Uh, yeah. So he would always be playing that stuff, and my mom would be like mad about it but i vibed with it and it was really fun and so you know we were just listening to music together and that's how i uh kind of got into that i mean i'm a little i'm definitely like grateful because my household was pretty musical so i definitely mm. grew up on like lauren hill and biggie smalls on um aretha franklin alicia keys um Ella Fitzgerald, Stevie Wonder, yeah. all of those awesome, awesome folks. Um, but I didn't think I would be good enough to be in the kind mm. of R&B uh, soulful route. So I was definitely much more of a angsty, uh, mm. I don't know, angry rocker type. <laughs> that's real. That's, that's very real. Um, so you you had one older sibling? Yeah, just one. Yeah, I had that too, and I feel like that was how I got into a lot of music was my older sibling would just, like, show me stuff. LimeWire, uh, what did she use before LimeWire? It was, like, she's five <laughs> years older than me, and it was, like, the thing, oh, my gosh. It wasn't BearShare? It wasn't BearShare. <clears throat> bear the Napster? icon was green. It was after, I think it was, might have been Napster. There's so many. Hmm, just thinking yeah. about that era of <laughs> stealing music. It was just like just taking like, a gamble every time you downloaded a song. Yeah. <laughs> you, like you would think uh, a song was by, by a specific artist, but you realized it wasn't by that artist. Yeah. Or like you would download an album and like I downloaded an album once by uh, Richie Inspector. Oh, and, love. Uh, it was Sophie Quiche and 
it was um i like had a specific album order and then i was driving with my bandmate michi who loves richie inspector and we're talking about <laughs> Kish, and we put it on and i was like wait this is not the first song of the album. <laughs> She's like, yeah. And so my, my whole perception <laughs> of that album is completely different. Yeah. Because it's just like I how I think this is in the terms of order is not how it is. Mm. So my I, I exist in like an alternate universe with that album. It's like the Berenstein Bears of music. Yeah. I kind of have something sort of similar to that. Um, I often talk about Paramore a lot mm. in like interviews. And this may be surprising to some people but my first song i'm pretty sure that i heard by paramore is this song called emergency but my brother had like the alt version which had like screaming in it and so i heard that and i was like well like that's dope but i remember it was always playing from his room and i never saw like who was behind it um so it was just like the audio and then it wasn't until like a little bit later that paramore was on the tv and stuff because of like misery business and whatnot but um emergency was from like an earlier album wow so that's wild yeah the circumstances is also almost makes it seem more magical (laughs) because it's like it's behind a wall they don't know who it is (laughs) yeah i mean and there's a version that's like different than what people associate them with yeah if it, if you're out there listening definitely listen to emergency scream version by paramore Damn. <laughs> that's like probably like there's probably like a cd or a tape of that that's like a lot of money <laughs> um cool so i was wondering like now they like have this context of like who you are in your own like ethnic and racial background um and especially your, your relationship with music I was wondering, you spoke a little bit with about like how your mom didn't like really approve of like your brother's music. Um, I was wondering how that affected your own identity in your community, whether that would be at school, your own specific friend group or like the current music scene uh, that you like grew up with, if you felt like you had one. Yeah, um, I definitely didn't feel like I fit in with a lot of the black kids like you know I feel like middle school uh was the roughest as it is for like a lot of Mm -hmm. folks you know everybody just wants to be accepted and everybody wants to uh you know be top dog and if you're different Mm -hmm. at all they don't like that whether it be the clothes that you wear the things that you listen to or like how you talk so I definitely had it a bit rough in middle school uh fashion wise and then i do remember kind of as i was coming into my own in terms of music it wasn't really relatable to listen to uh you know punk and kind of those rock genres um i think every black kid that listens to rock has heard uh you know that you're trying to be white at some point in time uh it was mostly my mom who would uh say those kinds of things but i'm sure it wasn't um it definitely also wasn't um really uh something to be proud of in school as well um Mm. 
or just like in general um I just feel like rock was always associated with whiteness and um and yeah that was tricky um so sometimes I felt like I wasn't like black enough for the black kids but I also didn't want to be white and I mm-hmm. and I didn't know how to express to my parents that I wasn't trying to be anything other than myself and listening to music that I liked and identified with um so yeah yeah that's really interesting like um I mean that that sentiment's very real feeling like listening to rock just makes you like get that perception that there's like a whiteness to it and I feel like there's been like a paradigm shift to now where I feel like there are more bands one that I I feel like is more inclusive and there are more like black and brown artists in like rock music at least underground more so than there were when i was growing up um and now i feel like it's kind of hitting the mainstream more like a willow smith dropped mm, that new song that's yeah. like just like a with travis barker um <clears throat> and there's all these other bands that are up and coming so it's kind of it's just it's just really interesting where you're kind of like put in a box by what you listen to and i feel like your identity is so def- find by your interest as a kid too yeah and like as I was thinking about this interview and like the questions that may arise from it um I wanted to also mention how sometimes people just assume that you're one thing because of the way you look right away Mm. so I remember vividly like I would be carrying my guitar to school and people on the train like um like would ask like what I played or like in general if I'm talking to someone and I said that I played music the three references that I would always get was like reggae slash Bob Marley Tracy Chapman or Fifi Dobson who's like this Canadian like pop rock chick that I that was like popular in the early 2000s so those were like all like the three categories of what I could be either a reggae star uh you know tracy chapman type (laughs) or like a weirdo like fifi dobson by the way it's not me calling her a weirdo but (laughs) i feel like fifi dobson was like the only black female um rocker chick and that's all they could that's all they could say (laughs) so you mentioned before that you were uh growing up confused for haitian or Trinidadian. So I was wondering if you felt comfortable sharing what your ethnic background is. Yeah, so I identify as Black and uh, West Indian. Um, My father was born on this really tiny island in the Caribbean called Anguilla. And my mom was born here in Boston, but uh, her mom was born in Alabama here in the States. And my mom's dad was born in Antigua which is also a part of the Caribbean so it's interesting how on both sides I'm Caribbean West Indian and I still have like that American like southern like uh, roots as well um Mm. but yeah it was it was interesting because Anguilla still isn't very mainstream as an island um yeah. It's almost easier to just not mention it. Um, Antigua, I feel like one people would know more so. Um, 
But yeah, we grew up going there several times a year during school vacations in the summer. And if anything, it I feel like it's something that I kind of took for granted because it was just so normal to me um, compared yeah. to like other kids. They would get to go to summer camp or just hang around at their homes for the summer and just watch TV and do other stuff like that. I feel like kids that didn't have this international <laughs> connection yeah. uh, would do. Um, but yeah, uh, shout out to Anguilla. <laughs> <laughs> And for people listening, uh, where is it exactly in the Caribbean? So it's kind of, it's like uh, east of Puerto Rico. um, Mm. And it's like directly north of St. Martin. So if people know where St. Martin is, you can literally take a boat from St. Martin to Anguilla. It's about 20-ish minutes. And before Anguilla had an airport, we would have to fly into Puerto Rico. And then it's like a 45-minute plane ride to St. Martin and then we would go on the boat to Anguilla so uh and like another little fun fact I like to say too is that the population currently is 15,000 and the island is 16 miles long and three miles wide at its widest point whoa so So it's it's basically like the size of a town yeah like the total land is like 35 miles like it's super invisible whoa (laughs) so it's i'm assuming it's smaller than saint martin yeah saint martin's kind of like the main that that's like people would go to saint martin for like shopping and stuff saint martin is like new york to them you know it's like where all the gold stuff is and you know major brands and whatnot and anguilla is just this tiny you know village-esque place awesome beaches and they they have resorts and stuff now um but obviously growing up we didn't stay in the resorts or anything like that i've never been to a hotel there i've never been to a resort there so i don't really know yeah what that life is like but i remember like it was a really (laughs) big deal when i think like justin bieber visited in like 2020 like 2012 or something and like beyonce and jay-z like vacation there one time it was like such a big deal because it's such a unknown place and i think that's why celebrities started going there compared to like yeah, barbados definitely. or jamaica or something like that definitely uh how long does it take to drive around that island is it oh, just like man. an hour drive yeah an hour max for sure wow um, that's insane it, is it a type of like community where pretty much everyone knows each other or like everyone in like dad's town they all know each other yeah definitely they kind of like know you yeah so like my grandpa my uh dad's dad he's been a taxi driver there forever and so Mm. he always picks us up in the airport and when he it's like when we arrive it's like oh like yakachi's son like you know like (laughs) yeah and everyone has like nicknames and stuff so sometimes like when my dad would get like hung up at like customs because he'd always like bring stuff back because stuff's really expensive there (laughs) so he'll always bring like random stuff that they ask for from america there he'll be like i'm i'm kachi's son like you know what i mean like rogers (laughs) like so he'll like you know he can kind of like get away with like a lot of stuff low-key because you know his dad is just the legendary taxi driver and and yeah and uh so yeah everyone pretty much knows each other and uh 
yeah, it's very, it's definitely a very different life over there. Life's like a bit mm. slower. And I think that's why as a kid, it was not, um, something I appreciated because, you know, mm. I would just be playing computer games and, you know, yeah. watching TV or whatever in America. And then I would come here and we would be like, you know, running around in the backyard, mm. playing with sticks and stones. And I mean, obviously we had like other toys and whatnot, but it was mostly just like the beach and just our imaginations with our cousins over there. Yeah. I had the same experience cause I have family in Puerto Rico. And so I remember one time I was there the summer that the last Harry Potter book came out Ooh. and we went to like the local borders and, uh, there was it was like a weird thing where we were waiting forever to get the book and then my mom it was like midnight a midnight thing and everyone was out there to get the harry potter book and then my mom like lied and got us like (laughs) two books so we could just leave she's like yo i forgot my ticket he just gave me two books i paid for it already awesome and so the next day we spent the entire day me and my sister spent the entire day in uh the basement of my grandma's house just reading the book while everyone that's sick that's so sweet just to read the tire thing to see what happened. So I empathize that being young and being in like an island. Now you're older, you're like, what the fuck are you doing? Just yeah. there's so much cool stuff you can do. Yeah. Um you, your your dad is an immigrant? Yeah, he is. Right. So I vaguely remember when he became a citizen. I was definitely young, but I feel like I remember being in the place and then like yeah, I just remember him like taking the test and and doing it maybe i'm making that memory up well. but i also think it's very <laughs> real i should have done i should have asked my family and stuff before i did this interview but yeah he came here sure when that was he a was a huge moment for him too yeah he came here when he was um 15 his dad actually sent him here because he was being reckless on the island playing around with motorcycles and whatnot and so they kind of sent him here to like straighten him out basically um and he stayed here for a few years bought a car and he was actually like paying off the car like he was really into jeeps he was paying off his jeep to like have it shipped back to the island and then he met my mom and they had me and the rest is history so wow yeah that's that's beautiful did he like i'm sure it must have been an emotional moment for when he became a citizen because that process does not sound easy either yeah um definitely not but he's a smart guy so you know i'm sure he was able to learn the national anthem and there's no like uh language barrier which i'm sure was really helpful like anguilla is a uh, like a United Kingdom, like a British uh, territory, oh, okay. essentially. So mm-hmm. um, most people actually go to Britain uh, from Anguilla, like have cousins there and stuff because it's the same passport and the flag is literally just like mm. the British flag with like some dolphins on the side. So, <laughs> um, so yeah. Um, That's so cool. Yeah. So you have that, you had that growing up and um, I, I wonder is there was there ever a point where like you like you said you kind of you took it for granted as a kid was there ever a point where you just realized like whoa my experience like having this family in the caribbean on this like tiny island that no one knows about um is kind of a big deal or like did you ever feel that kind of like shaped away or you're always kind of like oh this is just my norm and that's how i understand everything 
Well, I sadly didn't actually... There was a point where I just stopped telling people. I think it was after like sixth grade, maybe. I mean, middle school is always rough. And mm -hmm. so I just remember coming back one time and it's obviously a very sunny place, especially during the summer. And mm. for those who don't know me, I am like a dark skinned black woman. And so mm. I would come back even tanner after those mm. vacations. And uh, yeah, it wasn't really the best look to have during a time mm. where, you know, mixed kids or as they said, mulattoes back in the day or light skins, yeah. whatever. Those were you know, the more popular, prettier folks. So I kind of did not like going anymore. And I would like mm. do my best to like not have to go outside. And, you know, so I went from kind of just like being really free spirited and running on the dirt roads and around the beach to kind of just like hanging more inside or like, you know, trying to find a sunscreen that didn't, you know, that wasn't sticky, you know? Yeah. Um, and then before I knew it, not to get dark, uh, but like my yeah. parents ended up getting divorced, uh, kind of mm. like midway through high school. It's like a really foggy thing. Cause mm. it wasn't one of those things where they sit you down. It's like your mother and I are getting a divorce. It was a very like drawn yeah. out process. And by the time it yeah. was like officially over, I was already checked out anyway. Um, mm. and so, I kind of stopped going. Uh, I feel like around my freshman year of high school, and I didn't go back until 2015, and it was just me and my dad. So going back with just him was an interesting experience because if I yeah. had known the last time with my family would have been when it was, I probably would have appreciated it more. <laughs> yeah, I, I had similar experience too with the. Uh... Oh, uh, not with just like my parents were divorced. It was like mm -hmm. uh, a little bit. Then I was just like, oh, I'm go to Puerto Rico with my mom. Then just like my mom and dad. I'm wondering if you had the like you had that experience where like your parents were divorced. You didn't go for a while. They went back. I wonder if that somehow contributed to uh, Mint Green because you started the band around that time, right? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. Um, <laughs> I basically, um, I basically met the guitarist the very first guitarist for mint green he's not on any of the records or anything but he kind of helped me craft the songs i met him in like november or maybe october and then i met daniel who is our amazing drummer and he's still mm -hmm. with us to this day i met him in november of 2015 and so we had a couple practices and i didn't really have many songs at the time i probably only had like one and then i was like oh i'm gonna like go on vacation and i'll be back um you know at the end of december or whatever it was and so in the two weeks that i um spent in anguilla uh in kind of like late november early december of 2015 i wrote four out of the six songs um on growth our first ep and the artwork is actually like an artist depiction of my granny's backyard. So um, I think I was just doing like a lot of reflecting and whatnot. Um, 
at that time because I just didn't know how things would be, how my family over there would react. Like I haven't seen them in years. Um, mm. And, you know, obviously they know my dad and my mom are divorced. And, you know, I just wanted to just see what the vibe was like. But to my surprise, it was almost as if, like, nothing changed, which was what mm. I was hoping for. Um, and it wasn't, like, in a bad way. Because, I mean, yeah. he had Wi-Fi, which was awesome. <laughs> and my cousins are yeah. grown up, so they have cars. And I can drink. No. But, um, yeah. But, uh, yeah. But I definitely, um, like, there's the song Curtains, for example, off of Growth. Um, and that, on, like, the original, like, SoundCloud demo I did, you can hear, like, a rooster in the background because they cockled it'll so do at 7 a.m. And uh, so I wrote Caribbean. that song because, like, we have a house there and I hadn't been in my room in years. And so my granny, my uh, dad's mom came in and she was like, you need to get some curtains in here. You know what I mean? Like, she wants, she wanted to <laughs> yeah. really, like, homify it. And so that's what I wrote the song Curtains about, you know, just kind of, I don't know you know, all that stuff. So a lot of reflection about family and growing up and whatnot on the growth EP, thanks to Anguilla. <laughs> so uh, uh, that's really interesting. You're saying like McGreen has basically been like your only project. How long has that been? Like seven years, six years? Uh, we passed five in November because I count it basically because me and uh, our drummer, Daniel, who's been there since day one. Our first show was November 2015. Mm. Second show was January 2016. And so you all... marked it by the first show, not from the first practice. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's really interesting. Um, that's really cool. You're saying you kind of want like to start from scratch and just like be liked for your music yeah. and stuff. And something I, else. Yeah. Oh, sorry. You could go on. No, no, no. no I, I was, I was going to add something, but go for it. You go first. Well, I was going to say something else that I think is, that is important to note is that I wasn't the front person for my high school band. In fact, okay. that was like my worst nightmare. Like I thought my best friend was so much cooler and like looked better <laughs> and had way more friends. And so all I ever wanted to be in my dream, like since seventh grade, it was just like play guitar, do some backing vocals, and then that was what I was going to do. Um, but then once the band disbanded, I still wanted to do music. So I was like, I guess I am the front person now. Yeah. And so I just recruited uh, some musicians and the rest is history. But it, it definitely, it was definitely... Uh, a wild transition because I feel like I've gotten like a lot of comments and like DMs of like, whoa, like, you know, how are you so like confident and blah, blah, blah. Mm. But I literally just had to like fake it, like literally just mimic yeah. Hayley Williams until I kind of came into my own. Cause I definitely didn't, I never saw myself as being like the front person, quote unquote. Yeah. I feel like if this year has taught me anything, this past year of the pandemic i just realized no one really has it everyone's <laughs> just like faking it yeah and i don't think that i don't think anyone really makes it either you're just like <laughs> kind of like 
putting on a show. I remember one time, this is like sort of unrelated, but kind of, uh, I was at my godfather's house and he was like, say it's, it was, I think he just like yelled at like my cousin, his son. It's not like, he's not related by blood, but I call him my cousin. Mm-hmm. He was like, go, like, go clean a room or something. Just like something, just like a, a dad thing. Yeah. And he was like, he was being really loud and I never like saw him that. He was always like friendly. Mm-hmm. And I looked at him and he's like, I think he was like a little bit drunk. He was like, <laughs> it's just a show. It's not real. That's <laughs> so good. That's so good. That you're, you're just kind of putting on a front and just uh, just kind of being a persona. I feel like mm. that's like with anything, you know, you, you talk with anyone, like when you're introducing yourself, your, your version of a person is different than like their, uh, their best friend growing mm. up version, that their like partner's version. Everyone has a different perception of you. And that's, that's really true. interesting that you feel like you were never the front person too because um, I feel like as long as I've been in bands, I've always been in like a dual singer mm. kind of position. There was I had a punk band uh, for a little bit called Bendejo, which I, I kind of say myself. It was just because I was like, oh, I just want to uh, write some punk songs and like play in some basements and kind of let it thing. But for the majority of my quote-unquote like band career, I've always like shared – songwriting responsibilities singing responsibilities and so yeah. to put yourself out there is, i'm sure it's like very vulnerable and well what's even crazier hard. is that i still didn't even really accept that i was the front person until like you know like three years in like mm. like uh 2018 uh mm. because or I guess like two and a half-ish years in, because, um, I don't know, I still had that old way of thinking slash people, like from, like my family, for example, would say, oh, like, this is such like a, like, this is a good look for a band, because at the time it was me, and then I had like two white guys, and then my drummer is Asian, and Mm. so I thought that having these two white guys was something that I needed to succeed because mm. we were doing rock and because that's what I was told. They were like, wow, like, I don't know. You know, I don't know my parents and my community is a little old fashioned or I'm sure other people, I'm not alone in this, but mm. it's like uh, kind of just the classic, uh, you know, the more exotic or whatever mm. you look like, the better but you have to have at least a white guy because they don't they don't want an all black band and they don't want Mm. an all poc band and so we had like the perfect mixture of just like two white dudes and then me and then my drummer it's like uh it's like a different but not too different for everyone to digest and so when we lost our um guitarist uh who's one of the white guys i was like dang like my my first thought wasn't oh no you don't have a white guy it was more just like i don't think i can do this alone like Mm. i just felt like he was in such an important part i mean he's on our only two eps still to this day um but then my friend uh my friends were just like, dude, like you realize that you are Mint Green, right? Like when people think of Mint Green, I think of you. But I had never saw myself that way. 
And I had to just really accept that uh, I am who I am and we are who we are. And I just had to kind of step up and like own it. And it's, and as I've accepted that, it, it is pretty crazy to see, like, we've had so many random uh, lineups since then. And obviously, I've stayed consistent and my drummer has stayed consistent. Yeah. And every new cycle we have, every new tour, every new, like, honestly, every year, I feel like we kind of get reinvented i mean i'm hoping this lineup Mm. stays but we literally got another guitarist during the pandemic and it's almost as if these other people like never existed because we have gained so many new uh Mm. you know uh listeners and so to them who we are now is who we've always been so it's kind of like trippy that's real that's very fair do you feel like that has impacted your songwriting too or just like i guess on a broader sense just your own experience playing in bands, your own like experience with like your family and your own community has affected you as an artist and your own like uh, creating pro- creation process, creative process in terms of songwriting. Um, in terms of like how the um, lineup changes or more like having to do with like the races within our band. Uh, any of it. Just like, do you feel like just like, the certain lineup changes or how your band presented has changed your way of like how you approach writing songs, how you approach functioning as a band or just like, has it always been consistent? Cause it's always been with you. Mm, I think it's, we, we've definitely evolved. Like the first EP that we have uh, growth, I already had like four out of those six songs written Mm. And I wanted to find other musicians to help me complete them. And so I always think of growth as like the kind of it's very it's very, I feel like simple and straightforward in comparison to Headspace, which Mm. is our like follow up EP from 2018, because that was like the album where we actually started writing songs together, like from scratch um, but that's what made the guitarist leaving so hard because mm. there were songs that I literally couldn't play. And so with the next batch of songs that I've been writing, um, or rather, before I get too ahead of myself, I was kind of just like, uh, I can't write a song without them. And like, it kind of just felt like, I don't know, like I had already gotten to the point of, being collaborative I almost didn't trust my own uh musicianship and my own uh song crafting Mm. um I didn't think I'd be able to do it uh without him uh but obviously that (laughs) isn't true and thankfully I've been able to write more songs since then but there was like a time where I didn't feel confident enough to uh to I don't know do the process again yeah that's real and i've definitely been in bands that had like drastic lineup changes like this particular band we've gone through like different iterations and it's always like scary you ever have that feeling when someone leaves you're like okay is this it Mm. can you keep going or is it like you're just like oh i guess i got we got to figure it out but i feel like there's always a stress that accompanies with it you know yeah um cool uh well, thank you so much for coming on the pod. 
um i feel like that's that's really cool to hear is like how other people you know it's kind of navigated to and it's kind of weird you know putting yourself out there and like being like oh i gotta take this responsibility it's I don't know. You could correct me if I'm wrong or anything, but it, 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 it's very scary and to put yourself out there and vulnerable. But there's also that uncertainty that's always just like, this is something new, and now there's there's could be something exciting with it too, and you don't know mm. where you can evolve as an artist, or maybe this new change could be like, oh, maybe I can make something different with this and be something new. And make I, I think at the end of the day, it just comes to like, if you like what you're making, yeah. do you feel like the music you're making is something that you want to listen to over and over again? Yeah, yeah, I uh, I definitely realized that, um, pretty recently, especially with the current cl- uh, climate of music uh, in terms yeah. of genre. Uh, starting out i really really so badly wanted to be like pop punk and emo and all these types of things and that is what we were labeled as but like in actuality i really our music's never been i feel like as punk as i feel like people have like talked it up to be um and with this new batch of stuff coming out it's poppier and there's just there's just no label anymore to contain I feel like the type of music that's being made right now uh not only by my band but by artists around the world and I think that's okay like I even though I started out wanting to be accepted by all these other you know rock bands in the scene uh I'm more proud and confident now writing the music that I want to write and being more unafraid of uh sounding poppier or Mm. i don't know more shipped back uh it's just whatever it's just whatever i like and whatever we like as a band we're just gonna put it out and hope other people like it too (laughs) yeah for sure uh awesome i want are you working on something that's gonna be released relatively soon or is it still in the works works um i have no idea when this thing is going to be released but i feel like i'm allowed to say that we're writing and recording our first ep uh sorry lp and um it's gonna be 10 songs and it's gonna be awesome (laughs) awesome well excited to hear it also want to give you an opportunity to uh, shout out anything else that you're working on or any other people other bands you're listening to if you want to um (laughs) shout out to pink shift shout out to Bartiz strange Mm. uh i don't know shout out to anyone making music during this trying time uh being creative is hard um when you don't have the resources or uh, places that you used to have. So if you're being creative right now, props to you because I know how hard it is. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the pod. Uh, once again, my name is Chris Lee Rodriguez. I play in the band Really From. We have a new album out on Top Shelf Records. 
Uh, please listen to that if you have not done so already. Please listen to Mint Greed's two EPs that are out already. Um, you can listen to it on all stream platforms. It's really dope. I was listening to it this morning uh, on my drive home from work. It was really <laughs> awesome. And uh, keep your eyes peeled for their next LP whenever that comes out. <laughs> all right. And Thank thanks, Ronica, you. for coming to this. This is awesome. Thank you.